Thank you, Joe, for that ministry and music. Thank you, everyone, for coming back this evening. We continue our studies in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I begin with just a very short review. Last week, we considered the following. Paul is absolutely convinced that the Thessalonian believers are part of the elect. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And we talked about the beauty of being able to know that we indeed are God's children, and the way that we know that we are God's children is to see the effect, the change that the gospel has produced in our lives. So what is it that convinced Paul that the Thessalonians were part of the elect? First, Paul is convinced that Thessalonians are part of the elect because he sees the power of God at work in their, their lives. First Thessalonians 1.5 Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So not only did they hear the gospel, but the Spirit of God was at work. And it was by that Holy Spirit's power that they were fully convinced of the truth of God's word. And so last week we noticed that it produced a, a work of faith and the labor of love and that wonderful expectation, that hope that uh, brought endurance. Secondly, which is what we're going to focus on tonight, is that Paul is convinced that the Thessalonians are part of the elect because of the manner in which Paul presented the gospel to them. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. See, Paul relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to create a response to the gospel. Paul did not use gimmicks or tricks in order to try to bring people to faith. He wasn't relying on the presentation, but rather he was relying upon the work of the Holy Spirit to take that gospel message and apply it to the hearts and lives of individuals. Thus, the gospel was not preached in vain. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, which picks up where we're going to begin tonight. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not worthless. It was not empty, but it produced great fruit. So tonight we want to look at what characterized Paul's preaching of the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. What was unique in the way in which Paul preached the gospel. Well, first, Paul came preaching the gospel unreservedly, unreservedly. Paul came to the Thessalonians preaching the gospel despite the difficulties that he had encountered while preaching the gospel at Philippi, verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, so he begins by talking about what he had just been through. 
The suffering and mistreatment in Philippi is described in the book of Acts. Paul and Silas were dragged into the public marketplace before the authorities in Acts chapter six, uh, 16, verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace before the rulers. And so here are people that are upset, and they are upset because of uh, the financial gain that they are going to lose out on as a result of this ministry of Paul and Silas. But, of course, they have to bring some different charges than that. So they bring charges which are brought against Paul and Silas for preaching and creating a public disturbance in verse 20. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They are putting things in an uproar. Uh, you can't let that continue as everything is getting into chaos. And then secondly, charges were brought against Paul and Silas for preaching in opposition to the Roman government. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. This was a misconstruing of what uh, is said in the uh, scriptures that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and so they are saying that Paul was preaching insurrection. But again, you have to realize that these are trumped-up charges, even as they were trumped-up charges that were brought uh, when Jesus was brought before authorities. As a result, Paul and Silas were treated shamefully. Tells us that in verse 2 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. They suffered, they had been shamefully treated. Acts 16.22 says the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them. And then we find out that they were also, they suffered. That is, they were afflicted with pain for having preached the gospel, verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians, but though we'd already suffered and had been shamefully treated. So now we look at this, this suffering, and it's recorded in Acts 16, 22 and following. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. So here they suffer physically as a result of preaching the gospel. Fourthly, their rights as Roman citizens had been violated. Not only had they suffered innocently, but they also suffered illegally as a result of preaching the gospel. Not only were the charges false, but the manner in which they were treated after those uh, charges were brought was illegal. Acts 16, 35 and following. But when it was a day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. They had been imprisoned, as we just saw. And the jailer repeated these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, have they beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison? 
And do now they throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported the words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. Or again, what they had done was illegal by Roman law, and they themselves, that is the magistrates, could have been punished for the way in which they had Paul beaten before having had a trial. Uh, you can't just condemn someone based on accusation. There had to be, there had to be a trial, of which there was none. Verse 39, so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So now that brings us to our text tonight. They had just suffered. They had been in prison. They had been beaten. They had been ridiculed. They had been mocked. And that wasn't, number five, a pleasant experience to be sure. And yet, it did not deter Paul from preaching the gospel at Thessalonica. Or it says in verse two, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel to you. This word boldness speaks of without any hesitancy. They freely, unreservedly, they didn't hold anything back. They preached the full gospel of God despite what they had just gone through. That was the characteristics of Paul as he was presenting the gospel at Thessalonica. And then Paul also encountered difficulty at Thessalonica as a result of preaching the gospel. Verse 2. Though we had suffered and been shamefully treated to Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to deceive, uh, in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. So the application in the first section is this. Paul did not alter his message when he met with opposition. He did not leave out references to Jesus as the Christ, though that would be offensive to the Jews. You know, there are certain buzzwords, there are certain things that are said that you just know that certain people are going to get their dander up about. And it was not well received by the Jewish people when they would be told that Jesus was their Messiah. But it didn't deter Paul from saying that, for that was an essential aspect of the gospel. That was, that was the truth. That had to be said, and he said it. Number three, he did not soft-pedal the fact that Jesus was King of kings and Lord of lords, though that might be misconstrued by the Romans as treasonous. Again, he knew that just those very concepts would be a difficulty for many of his hearers to accept. But he said them anyway. Why? Because they were a part of what the gospel teaches. And he was not about to change the gospel based on what people would 
seemingly accept or not accept. Number five, that's true in every single age. The sinfulness of man rejects the truth of God. Just last week in the morning worship service, I I preached a rather hellfire and brimstone message and spoke of hell. You know, less than 25% of people who say they are Christians believe in a literal hell. We're not talking about the world, we're talking about people who are Christians. I'm chairing a study committee right now for the Bible Fellowship Church that is looking at the doctrine of eternal conscious punishment. And uh, we are writing a, a position paper for the Bible Fellowship Church on that very issue. It is a thorny issue in our society. People don't want to hear about a hell. The general train of thought is God is a God of love, and as a God of love, he could never condemn someone to hell. Well, you can't change the gospel based on what is acceptable or not acceptable to the people to whom you are speaking. So Paul is convinced that the faith was genuine because of the kinds of things that he said, and yet the people received it. Number seven, we must always stand against the tendency to seek to accommodate our culture in preaching and teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we can't change the message so that it becomes more palatable, so that it becomes more acceptable, so that it becomes more in tune with what the majority of our culture believes. And there is tremendous pressure to do so. That is not just true in our day and age, it's true in every day and age. Eight, we must avoid the temptation to leave out aspects of the gospel that we might think would be offensive and turn people off to receiving the gospel. So this, at this point, is not about adding things or saying things that are untrue. It's just simply not bringing certain things up. Uh, it, it's just avoiding certain subjects. And again, because of the manner in which preaching is done today, that's very easy to do. For the majority of evangelical preaching is uh, topical, which means you choose what it is that you're going to say. And not only are you choosing what you're going to say, but you also choose what you aren't going to say. And as I preached that hellfire and brimstone message last week, I made the comment that I doubt very much that you're going to go home and turn on a, a radio and hear a message that comes from 2 Kings chapter 1. It's easy to avoid certain portions of Scripture when you are teaching and preaching topically. You just never get around to it. But Paul preached the whole counsel of God. He did not leave anything out. He spoke the truth. And so, because he spoke the truth, he had confidence that the faith of the Thessalonians was genuine. Secondly, Paul came preaching the gospel forthrightly. 
forthrightly, honestly, sincerely. First, Paul did not rely upon gimmicks in attracting people to the gospel for our appeal, our appeal. And this word for appeal is talking about the the basis on which you seek to get a response from individuals. And so he did not rely upon gimmicks. Secondly, Paul did not stray from the truth of the gospel. For our gospel does not spring from error. And the word for error means to wander off. To wander off, to leave the gospel far behind and go into a whole other area, a whole new understanding. He did not wander from the gospel. He He stayed to the true and to the narrow. See, Paul did not add anything to the gospel that did not belong there. For our appeal does not spring from error or from impurity. The word for impurity can have two different contexts. Uh, It can have the idea of that which is not genuine, that which is not pure, that which is is, uh, impure in the sense of having an additive added to it. So water has impurities when there are other minerals and contaminants that are in the drinking water. He didn't add to the gospel things that were impure that would make it more palatable or acceptable. And impurity also has a sexual contact to it. And um, it might well include that idea, and that is that he didn't rely upon appealing to people's lusts in order to make the gospel more acceptable or palatable. And uh, it's a shame that sometimes uh, people put more emphasis on the glamour that's associated with the gospel in order to make it appealing that, uh, you know, even sex appeal sometimes is used in Uh, the presentation of the gospel. D, Paul did not rely on being cunning as a means to win people to Christ. For it says that uh, for our appeal does not spring from error or purity or any attempt to deceive. And that deceive word is very broad and as I translate it as cunning, it's trying to use worldly practices. Uh, trying to to think uh, of presenting the gospel the way a used car salesman would try to sell a car. You know, the the kinds of techniques, the kinds of manipulation, the the kinds of hard sell. Uh, You know, singing just as I am 30 times to try to get somebody to respond, uh, to appeal to their... their, emotions, uh, trying to get them uh, to respond out of a a pure uh, sense of longing or desire, loneliness. Uh, People will say, uh, you you feel lonely this morning, you have no friends, Uh, Christ can be your friend. 
and maybe never get around to the aspect of sin and the need for forgiveness and repentance. And the whole message is simply on friendship and needing a friend. And if you need a friend this morning, Jesus can be your friend. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't you need a friend and Jesus can be your friend. The gospel is that we are sinners, that we are separated from God because he's holy and just and righteous. He's so holy he can't even look upon sin. And so to deal with that sin question, he had to send his son to die on the cross to bear the penalty for our sins. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And there are so many things that are passed off as the gospel that people respond to and unfortunately then think they're saved because they raise their hand, they go forward, they respond to a, an altar call, they respond to an appeal that has nothing to do with the true gospel. So Paul is convinced because of the gospel that he presented, because of the manner in which he presented it, that their faith was genuine. It was real. What he said was truth. Which brings us to the third part, and that is Paul came preaching the gospel accountably. Accountably. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So A, Paul did not preach in such a way as to gain people's approval. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men. Not to please men. It wasn't Paul's motivation to try to get people to like him or to like his message. He didn't come to be accepted by individuals. B, Paul preached to have God's approval. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God. But to please God. So the ultimate audience for Paul's preaching was not his earthly hearers. The primary audience was God. Paul was concerned whether or not what he said was acceptable to God or not. Not whether it was acceptable to mankind or not. He'd been put in uh, trust, it says, with the gospel. It was handed to him as a treasure that was to be preserved and kept. And so he preached the gospel that way, with an accountability before God. See, Paul preached with the realization that he was accountable to God for both how he preached and also why he preached, which is going to be the transition into the next section. Please, God, who tests our hearts. So Paul had to preach in such a way that what he said was true and also that his motivations were right and pure. So we now have this unpacking of 
ways in which he didn't seek to gain people's approval, but rather it was only seeking God's approval. Which brings us to four. Paul came preaching the gospel sincerely. Sincerely. First, Paul did not preach the gospel with wrong motives. Paul did not preach out of a desire to gain people's personal allegiance. We never came with words of flattery. Words of flattery. The idea of flattery is to manipulate people for one's own benefit. Paul wasn't trying to butter people up. He wasn't trying to to raise their self-esteem. He wasn't trying to get on their good side. He wasn't trying to be their friend. He wasn't trying to have a position of of honor or influence over these individuals. That's not what motivated him. Secondly, Paul did not preach for the purpose of financial or material gain. says, not with a pretext for greed. He wasn't preaching the gospel for what he could get out of it. He wasn't trying to fleece the people. He wasn't simply trying to get hearers. Uh, He wasn't trying to get followers, you know, like on Facebook. He, He wasn't trying to get a thousand friends or likes as a result of preaching the gospel. He wasn't trying to advance himself in some way. And then thirdly, Paul did not preach out of a desire for self-promotion, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. So it wasn't an ego trip. It wasn't about him in any way. Secondly, Paul speaks of the proper approach that he used when ministering to the Thessalonians. So in verses 5 and 6, he tells us what he did not do. In verses 7 and following, he tells us what he did do. So secondly, Paul speaks of the proper approach that he used when ministering to the Thessalonians. Paul demonstrated a real tenderness in ministering to the Thessalonians. But we were gentle among you. He made no threats. He didn't say, you must believe the gospel or else. He didn't put a gun to somebody's head. He didn't try to twist their arms. He didn't try to bully them into believing. And, you know, that may seem far-fetched, but yet people are browbeaten. People are harassed in trying to get a response out of people. I remember so well when I was uh, visiting the Reading Hospital, my, my, my uh, father-in-law was, was ill. He was dying of cancer. And uh, I would go and see him every Monday after the uh, Sunday night service. And in the sovereignty of God, I was doing a series on life after death. And my father-in-law was very interested in that subject as he was lying in a hospital bed knowing that he was going to die. And so I'd go over my handouts with him on every Monday morning and talk to him about what life after death was like. But I remember walking through a crowd that was protesting. They were anti-abortion. They were carrying picket signs, and they were, they were screaming, and they were yelling. And I remember 
just walking through this crowd, and I'm just going to see my dad. I'm not about anything. And one of them came up to me and grabbed me on the uh, arm and said, you know you're going to hell. The guy didn't know me from Adam. And I just looked at him, and I said, you're dead wrong. I said, I'm not going to hell. I said, I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. And he looked at me and he said, I bet you do. And, you know, he wouldn't even back off when, when I told him. That wasn't the Apostle Paul's approach. He was gentle. He was meek. He didn't argue people into the kingdom. He let the Holy Spirit do the work of conviction. He let the Holy Spirit bring people to faith. Number two, Paul spoke out of a genuine concern for the Thessalonians' well-being. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And so Paul is talking about how he was self-supporting. He just said that he did not preach out of greed, and he took no money, but rather worked with his hands in order that he would not be a burden to his hearers. And he was truly concerned about their well-being. He was concerned about the reality of their eternal destiny. And that brings us back again to motivation. You see, if we're really concerned about people's destiny, if we're really concerned about people being born again, we won't do the coercion that often is accompanied by those who are only concerned about how many responses they get, how many people they lead to Christ, how many souls they can claim. You know, if we lead someone to Christ, it's the grace of God, it's not us, it's not how we presented the gospel. We can take no credit. And conversely, if someone doesn't come to Christ, it's not because we didn't present the gospel well enough. I'm not saying that we don't have responsibility in the way in which we present the, the word of God. But I'm saying to you, there is so much emphasis placed upon the individual rather than the spirit of God. And I would just say to each and every one of us, I, I think that it is that misplaced emphasis that keeps us from sharing our faith more than we do. I don't think we think we're up to the task. We're afraid that somebody's going to ask a question we don't have the answer to. Or how they're going to respond or not respond. You see, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is that out of a, a true and genuine concern for a lost and dying world, that we tell people the truth of how they can escape damnation by placing their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what motivated him. Notice 
the third uh, verse that's listed there, 1 Thessalonians 2.11, top of page 7. For you know how like a father with his children, this, this tenderness, this, this way of being concerned about their children. I hope we can all relate to that and have all been concerned for our own children that they come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I hope that we share the gospel with our, our children. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one. Deuteronomy 6 then goes on to say how we should teach our children from the down sitting to the uprising. In our culture, in our society, there is a tendency to say that we should let our children make up their own minds. I'm not talking about brainwashing. All I am saying that we should present to our children with full conviction their need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. To convey that he is my God and he needs to be their God. They need to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And we do so because we want to see our, our children in heaven. We want to see our children spared. And that's what motivated Paul as he preached in Thessalonica. His relationship was a love for God and then a love for people. And in accountability to God, he was going to be accountable to people. Not by telling them what they wanted to hear, but telling them what they needed to hear, what they had to hear. Thirdly, Paul sought to live in a manner consistent with the message that he preached. Paul preached that the people conduct themselves in a manner that would glorify God. Tells them in verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul had invited them to walk in a manner worthy of God, found in the words to exhort each one of you. He invited them. He implored them. He begged them to trust in God and then live out that trust in a way that brought honor and glory to God. Paul had comforted them regarding walking in a manner worthy of God. For it says, we exhorted you, and then it says to encourage you. And that word is primarily a word of comfort, consolation. He was telling them that if they would associate with Christ and the gospel, they would suffer persecution, they would suffer affliction. And as he told them that message, he also comforted them as he talked about the second coming, as he talked about the resurrection, as he talked about everlasting life. And then thirdly, Paul demonstrated how they were obliged to walk in a manner worthy of God. He, he charged them. This was their duty. This is their responsibility as well as their privilege. And Paul says that because, too, now we find that Paul conducted himself in a manner that was worthy of the gospel, that was worthy of God. You see the progression. 
The way that Paul preached the gospel had significance in his own life that he would walk before God in the way that he should. For notice, A, Paul had demonstrated his devotion to God while he ministered to them. You are witnesses in God also how holy, holy, to be separate, to be sanctified, how he had devoted himself to God in his glory, how he wasn't concerned about what people thought, he was concerned about what God thought. That's what motivated him. To walk in a manner that was worthy of God and worthy of the gospel. Anything else was not worthy of God. It was demeaning of God. It was a failure to trust in God. It was a failure to glorify God as the one who chooses, as the one who saves. If he's going to take the responsibility upon himself, he is going to be exalted. Not God. You see, the passage begins last week with giving thanks to God or the Thessalonians. Paul isn't to be thanked. God is to be thanked. So he separated himself unto God. Secondly, Paul demonstrated how uprightly or justly he acted while he ministered them. Uh, how righteous was our conduct towards you believers. He conducted themselves, himself in an appropriate manner. And then lastly, Paul demonstrated how he lived in a manner that was above reproach as he ministered to them. And blameless was our conduct towards you believers. So for all those reasons, Paul is assured that the response of the Thessalonians was genuine. It was genuine. It represented the power of God because Paul didn't do anything to undermine that reliance solely on the power of God. He was looking to God and God alone as the means of bringing people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Conclusion. The gospel should always be presented faithfully. Hey, first we should be faithful to the gospel's message. Not adding to, not taking away. Not altering it to appeal to the audience to whom we're speaking. The culture that we are so much aware of. And the emphasis today is so much on that very thing of, of trying to present the gospel in a whimsical way that is just somehow going to be more acceptable to natural mankind. It just takes away the, the barriers. But it's those very barriers that need the forgiveness. It's, it's that rebellious nature. It's the self-seeking that needs to be repented of. Secondly, we should be faithful to God to whom we're accountable. We should always be concerned not with the results, but is God pleased with what we have said? Have we honored God in what we have said? Have we 
glorified God in what we have said. Thirdly, we should be faithful to those whom we present the gospel. We should seek their well-being. And we should be a positive example to them. And then lastly, which is the main point, we should rely totally upon God for the outcome. Totally upon God for the outcome. Thus, as we present the gospel, we need to be praying that God's spirit would be at work and he would bring conviction and he would bring people to faith. And when he does, we need to give him praise and we need to give him thanks, which Paul does repeatedly in the book of Thessalonians. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you first and foremost that I believe all here tonight have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are thankful for your spirit to, be, to have worked among us, in us. Thank you, Lord, for opening our hearts and minds to believe what is otherwise unbelievable, to accept what is otherwise unacceptable, and to love what otherwise is unlovely, and to be willing to accept what you say about us in our hearts. How we are in need. It's not a message of self-reliance or a message of independence. It's a message of lordship and acknowledging you as the true and living God, we as your creatures. Lord, thank you for opening our hearts to that message. And Lord, help us to faithfully share that same message with others, not to be ashamed of it, not to detract, not to add to, but Lord, to be accountable to you. And Lord, we just pray that you would use us even this week and the people with whom we come in contact. Lord, help us not to be overly reserved. Help us to be gracious, help us to be kind. And at the same time, in that kindness, in that graciousness, Help us to point them to a Savior who will watch over them and protect them and keep them and deliver them and give them a life everlasting. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.